This is Sounds Like Adventure, an actual play podcast all about fun roleplay, short runtimes, and great sound design. I'm your host and DM, Jack Trainer, and I'm joined by my co-hosts and players, Jacob Sirachi and China Wenzel. We're back! It's episode two of season two of Sounds Like Adventure. Hey, I'm your host, Jack. How you going? Thanks for joining us again for another great episode. And my gosh, we kicked off the season with a bang last week and we are not slowing down. We have another huge episode for you today. But don't forget, we're still doing our big competition over on our Instagram page. So if you'd like to play some D&D with us, head over there, check it out, get your entry in. But for today's episode, what does Mary Canary want? She showed up at the end of the last episode and despite no one else being able to remember who Otis and Seok were or that they were at the museum, how come she can? Find out in today's episode of Sounds Like Adventure. So when we last left off, we picked up the day after the events at the Hall of Electric Curiosity. We met your guys' assistant slash landlord, Double Dylan, and then surprisingly... Mary Canary arrived. So we're going to pick it up right where we left off. She's just arrived and she's just made a hell of an entrance. Mary Canary just sort of strides in like she owns the place, just like full chewing the scenery. She looks over towards Double Dylan and Double Dylan just like falls into line immediately. He's like presenting her drinks and like he knows what to do. He knows the scene. She says, but I must ask you both a question, my dear boys. Why is it that no one who is at the museum can seem to remember the two of you? And why can I remember you? Otis uh, looks at Miss Canary and says, take a seat, Miss Canary. Uh, Dylan, could you cover our guest a drink? I think we could ask you the same thing, Miss Canary. Uh, We've only just read the second edition and are as puzzled as you are. We were expecting uh, someone breaking down our door much sooner than you. Siok walks over and looks at um, Mary Canary. He's like, want some tea? (laughs) (laughs) She's like already holding a coffee from um, Double Dylan and she's like, uh, sure. And he, he grabs one of these large, huge mugs and fills it to the brim. <laughs> do you try to hand it to her or do you place it on the table in front of her? No, I, I, I hand it to her. She makes no move to take it from you and she just looks at the table. <laughs> uh, so she just like looks at the mug, looks at her, looks at the mug and it's just like, shrugs and drinks the tea himself. So, uh, what brings you here? And as you drink it, she says, and that's quite all right with me. Um, and <laughs> sips her coffee. Um, <laughs> so you just say, what brings you here? Yeah. The thing I just asked you about, the magic that you've used to doctor everyone's memories and clearly this incident at the, the museum that you were responsible for. Okay, so you thought that my brother and I went to a museum, did unmentionable things there, and then magicked everybody to forget us. And you came 
to us by yourself. That's where we're at, yes? There's like no like shaking in her voice, no sign of intimidation, no sign of anything. And she says, that's quite right, my dear boy. You are brave. Now, Miss Canary, if, if you believed us possible of that sort of magic, do you think that this would be our abode? And like gestures around the room. It is quite, quite bad, isn't it? I think bad is a harsh word, Miss Canary, but not... Mm, Some would say soft, (laughs) but anyway, so are you saying... What are you saying? While we may have been responsible for some of the occurrences of the menagerie, the forgetfulness was not us. Can I roll an insight on, like, Mary Canary, just to see if her intentions are true? Like, if she's trying to catch us out in a lie or if she's trying to use us in a way. Yeah, go ahead. Give me a 12. 12, beautiful. That would be a whole of a five. Something about Mary Canary and her magnetic attraction to you um, makes it very hard for you to get a read on like anything in terms of her intentions because <laughs> it's constantly everything she says is like measured with like an equal dose of her hitting on you Silk <laughs> would like to add to what um, Otis just said and say not only were we only partially responsible for the things that happened last last night at the museum, but also where we barely responsible for anything that happened in the menagerie at all. <laughs> she looks, looks at you very hard and she says, I believe half of what you just said. I believe you didn't have anything to do with this forgetfulness, did you? As much as it pains me to admit, my dear, my brother is quite right. That was was not us, and we are just as puzzled as you. There aren't many who beat me in a game of art identification. And from the moment I met you, I didn't believe you were art buyers. Why would you be it? The hall of electric curiosity to buy art? Ridiculous. Anyone could have seen through it who has been around galleries. But clearly you know something. So I'm choosing to believe you because I have need of your services. I believe that it was you that owed us a favour, Miss Canary. I know I lost the contest. And it is I that owe you the favour, my dear boys. But I don't come to you asking for a favour. I come to you with a job for investigators. What kind of information are you looking for? And uh, specifically, how much would it pay? Details. I I liked you much more, Seok, when you were pretending to be painfully rich. That That was much more appealing to me, this ugly talk of money. Trust that the Canary family, one of the most prestigious families in Ethel Grove, we have roots all the way back to when the roost was named Arboreal, trust that we will reward you 
handsomely and she like really disdainfully looks at like your the the location that she's in at this point. And what would the job be, Miss Canary? Saying this, like her sort of hackles drop a little bit and she's like, okay, cool. You guys are hearing her out now. She doesn't have to keep trying to convince you at this stage. I mentioned the Canary family earlier. And as I say, one of the most prestigious families in Ethel Grove. I don't bring this up to big note myself. In fact, I've made my my best to distance myself from my family. I'm uh, a little different from the rest. And my daughter. And she takes a pause and it's like some deeply repressed emotion almost escapes her for a moment. And she says, apologies. My daughter has always been different. Misunderstood, you see. But she and I always understood one another. But like me in some ways, she never fit in. But uh, uh, not not quite as, as good as one such as I at hiding things such as this. And like you, uh, you could feel like the whole like facade of like Mary Canary, this intimidating like matriarch like is falling away and she's like revealing, she's she's presenting a little bit of vulnerability to you for the first time. Siok says, I know the feeling of not fitting in and I also got really good at hiding. He let, puts a hand on her shoulder and like does the like a awkward tap consoling her. She doesn't, like, shrug it away or anything like that. She takes a moment and she says, and she, my daughter, has has left left us. And I fear that she may have fallen in with a dangerous group. She, when you say she has left you, do you mean the family or Ethel Grove? You must understand life in the roost is different and secluded. Most don't act like me. Most don't move outside of the roost and visit other places and have relationships with uh, people they would consider below their station. The ground dwellers, as you call it. Uh, not as I call them. Not, not at all. I don't. I don't use that kind of uh, phrase. I, I'm here, dwelling on the ground, just as you are right now. Picking up what she's putting down, he goes. But I'm assuming that your daughter does. No, she rejects that behaviour harshly, very harshly. So she can't be with the arboreals then. So who has she gone to? She's... The people she is with, I don't know, but what I do know is the area she's been around has been troubling. And there are rumours of danger, rumours that are too, too horrible to even imagine what... And she, like, cuts herself off and doesn't continue... 
And then she just says, I would ask of you and pay handsomely for your services to go to the wizard's nephew right nearby the treehouse tonight. My daughter has been seen there and I believe tonight they are having some quaint local music festival. I'm sure you will find her there. Her love of music, her love of the drums is known. Find her and find out what she is doing. Bring her back to me. And she pauses heavily as if considering something and she says, at any cost. Should we approach her and try to convince her to come with us, to come back to you? Or are you saying that we should take her if she doesn't want to? She like weighs up that question like heavily, like it's really hard for her to answer. And she says, I would prefer if she returned of her own choosing, but it is imperative to me that she is returned. Now, Miss Canary, I don't believe me and my brother are willing to do, as some would call a snatch and grab, on your child. But if it's information you want, it's information we can get. We can talk with her, but I don't think we'll be forcing her to do anything she does not want to do. What if she is not in her right mind? What if she is being influenced to act in a way that is contrary to her beliefs. The, the information I have heard is deeply, deeply troubling. It seems like there's something you haven't told us yet, but is information that would be vital for us to succeed in this endeavor. So please share what you know. Our surroundings might be bleak, Miss Canary, but... If there is one thing we are good at, it is investigative work. Great. She's quite vulnerable. You guys have made quite a convincing case. So I want you to make, Chai, can you make that persuasion check with advantage? Um, just try and beat a 10 here on this one. All right. Silk uh, is actually quite persuasive. So let's see. You said this when we were at the museum as well and failed then too. This is kind of awkward, but I can save that. Uh, so I rolled a net one and a four, which would be a six and nine. So I've, I'm at a nine. So I'm going to roll one of my psionic dice. That's another six. So it would be uh, six plus nine, uh, 15. She takes a heavy pause, weighing up again what she can say to you. And she says, You see, when you are a part of the highest of high society, like one such as I am, you are privy to much, much information. And the sources that have revealed to other sources and made their way back to me, have reported a troubling, troubling movement forming, leveraging the wonders of the technological advances of Ethelgrove to create something horrible. And my daughter has been present as a perpetrator 
of these horrible things. She must be returned to me at any cost. Miss Canary, now we do need to cover the fact that sometimes in this line of work there is information that comes out that you may not be ready for. What if we do find that your daughter is a culprit in these things? Then we will find a way to return her to us and she will be dealt with by us as is right for any member of the Canary family. You say that you distance yourself from their, their elitist values, but here you are trying to give preferential treatment. If it is true that she is involved with this, the treatment that she will receive will not be considered preferential. It's like with a very heavy, heavy heart that she's saying these things. You can tell this is like crushing her to be saying this stuff. Um, Otis gives her a nod and he reaches in one of his big hands across the table, puts his hand on hers and, and says, I sympathise with you, Miss Canary. We will do what we can. If there is anything you can think of, please get in touch with Mr Dylan and he will pass it on to us. Consider us on the case. So when we join you guys, it's later in the day um, and before Mary Canary left uh, the office, she gave you all the details of the deal and that was all broken down. So basically, while you guys are working on this case for her, she's going to keep you on retainer as you still have that sort of rent debt looming over your head. But upon the return of Mary Canary's daughter to her, you guys have managed to agree with her that you're not going to do like a snatch and grab of her basically. If you can get her information or by actually bringing the daughter to Mary Canary personally, either of those are acceptable outcomes here. She basically will provide you with like an eye-popping amount of gold. And in addition to this, uh, she also passed on all the details that you need to know to be able to find her daughter. So her daughter's name is Carrie um, and she has pink feathers and she resembles a galah. So hang on, Carrie Canary? Yeah, Mary Canary and Carrie Canary of the Canary family. (laughs) So yeah, she resembles a galah, pink feathers, and Mary Canary told you of this quaint music festival that's happening. You guys have never been there before, but Kerry is known as like an avid drummer and it's likely that she's probably actually going to be performing at the event in some capacity. But right now you're on your way to meet up with a contact um, that Mary Canary has set you up with in the Treehouse District. So she gave you the address of this guy's house. It's 46 Bow Street. And she told you that he is an Aracocra and she described him as a total idiot, <laughs> uh, but said that he was well-connected in this whole world uh, of like, you know, quaint folk music. Siok and Otis, how are you guys dressed for this event um, as you're making your way to catch up with this uh, person who's going to welcome you in? I would say that, that Otis is probably wearing like like a nice like trilby hat. Still dressed quite dapper, but not as not as 
much as so as the museum. Like he's still got a nice coat on, um, but probably not a vest underneath. Just like a coat, um, a shirt, and some like nice pants, and just like a casual f- formal dress. Fancy guy out at the beach by the sounds of things is, is the vibe I'm getting here. Hundred percent. And what's what's Seok rocking? Seok, like the way Americanary said, oh, it's a quaint thing. He would think like, oh yeah, that's totally something she would never go to. And then he tried to find something resembles something that Americanary would not touch with tongs. <laughs> this costume, which is basically just leather straps. They're like strapped around and they make like kind of like a costume with like kind of like a like a leather leotard thingy. Yeah, it's like he's out of Mad Max. He's about to go to a rave, like that kind of vibe by the sounds of things it feels like. But he's also wearing like a big wide brimmed hat with a feather. (laughs) (laughs) A hat as well as the leather leotard. It's a lot of uh, accoutrements. Uh, but anyway, so you guys arrive at 46 Bower Street um, and you look up at the house and it's like disheveled. There's an old couch sitting on the porch. There's various like sculptures that look like they've been stolen from places around the city and they're put into like humorous poses and stuff like that. You know, one's bent over in front of the other one, that type of thing. Um, there's just empty bottles all over the place. Uh, what are you guys going to do? Can Otis out of habit, like if there's sculptures in the yard, can Otis out of habit, like see if he recognizes any of the sculptures? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> could you roll for that? Give me, give me a history. Sick. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to beat here. Let, let, let me see what you get. Uh, that'll be a fifteen. A fifteen. Yep. Uh, you look at these statues and you're like, oh wow, geez, I can see that these weren't done. By stupid Jim. My God, these look like <laughs> crap. Um, you and obviously your artistic taste has developed a little bit um, since uh, your encounter at the museum. Yeah, we're we're practically professionals now. Like we know all of it. <laughs> uh, did we did we get the name of the contact? Uh, no, just said that he was here. He's an Arakokra, um, and he's an idiot. All right. Uh, so we're like, Seok's going to look around and see if he can't see like a, if this is 46 Bow Street. Yeah, sure. Um, so you kind of like uh, move around um, and you're looking in the yard and the yard's kind of overgrown. You go up to look at one of the statues and then you see there's like a mailbox that's like fallen over in the grass and you can see that it says 46 on it. All right. Um, it's the right place. Otis will like, um, well, brother, I think, I think you can take the lead on this one. <laughs> and I'd like, and, and proffers the, like, proffers his hand towards the door. Yeah, um, as, uh, Sioke winks at, uh, Otis, you just follow. And, uh, he just like struts towards the door and knocks on it. Great. So as you knock on the door, it just swings off its hinges and falls open, revealing the hallway of the house inside. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's what quaint means. <laughs> he steps through. <laughs> uh, Otis, uh, uh, Otis probably just stands beside and goes, ah, 
I see. <laughs> and follows after Seahawk. So inside the house, there's just like crap everywhere. It's not like disgustingly filthy, but it looks like that's because like whoever lives here isn't like home very often. Okay, so it's like it's not like foodstuffs and things. It's more like clutter. Yeah, it's just like shoes and there's like plates stacked in the sink type of thing. And like whoever's here is either like super distracted or like just not around very often and hasn't sort of figured out where they should put stuff. Six so just gonna gonna call out, hello, <laughs> anybody home? So you hear like a commotion from upstairs. And, like, a very skinny brown aracocra falls down the stairs. It's like, (laughs) and then he, like, hits the ground at the landing and he, like, rolls smoothly and he, like, steps up and he has this, like, momentary look of triumph and he's like, ha-ha, and he swings his arm and takes a big step and slams his shoulder into the wall and he's like, son of a... (laughs) And he turns around and looks at you guys standing where the door should be and he looks surprised for a second and he goes, me bloody door (laughs) fell off again. (laughs) Fell off. Who are you guys? And there you go. Season two, episode two. Lock it away, it's done. And what about this crazy character that Mary Canary has set the brothers up with? What could this guy possibly help them out with? Well, to find out, you'll have to stick around for the next episode. And to make sure you don't miss that next episode, head over to the app that you're listening to this in right now, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. That'd be very much appreciated. And hey, don't forget, we're still doing our big giveaway over on our Instagram page. So if you're one of those people who's always wanted to play D&D, never had the chance, or if you'd just really like to play a game with us, this is your perfect chance to get to do that. So head over to at soundslike underscore pod on Instagram or head over to soundslike.show and get your entry in. But hey, with all that in mind... We'll catch you next week for the next episode of Sounds Like Adventure.